He is risen. Try that one more time. He is risen. He is risen and this is what we believe. And this is what separates Christianity from all other religions. All those who founded other religions still lie in the grave. Muhammad lies in the grave. Buddha lies in the grave. We are in a 21-week series on the gospel. What is the gospel? What is it telling? The good news is telling about Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. He no longer lives in the grave. And because He lives, then we have the promise of eternal life. This morning, you're going to hear the stories of how three different people came to Jesus Christ. These were people who knew about church. They were in church. They had been baptized. They knew the right things to say, but they didn't know Jesus. They believed to some extent, but they didn't know Jesus. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. And as is our custom, we're going to stand in just a moment and read. I'm going to make just a few comments, and then Jim and Diane McLaughlin will be coming, and after them, Mike Moneypenny. If you would, please stand, and we will read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. This after the introduction to the letter where Paul has told the Romans that he wants to tell to them, declare to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live. Father, many years, many of us did our best to get along in life, and we thought that that was good enough. We thought that by virtue of where we were born and the the fact that we knew all about Jesus, that was enough until the day that you, your Holy Spirit, convicted us through the Word of God and made it very clear that we were sinners, hopeless and helpless without Jesus. Lord, this day, as we hear from those who walked that path and as adults came to understand what it means to have faith in Jesus. Lord, if there are those here today that 
that hear this and for the first time it makes sense. And I pray that you would bring new life. And I pray that all of us would leave this place proud to proclaim and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Thank you for changing, for saving and changing us who know Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I can't tell you how many times in my teenage years that I tried to change my life. There was no power there. I thought, this has got to change. There was no power. Until the day that the Lord saved me. And His power immediately, radically changed my life. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This faith from beginning to end in this Christian life. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we will find when we get to Romans 4 that we are justified. Our justification is made complete by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's appropriate that on this day we hear from those who talk about what it means to believe in Jesus. A lot of people say, hang in there. When you're going through a hard time, your faith will get you through. Well, this faith that is being talked about in Scripture, that is the gospel, The good news of Jesus Christ is not a psychological crutch to get you through a difficult time. It's a complete trust and resting in one who has done for you what you absolutely could not do. Jesus not only died for us, He lived for us. His whole life was perfect. He was righteous. And when He died, He died as a substitute. And it is His righteousness that is given to us when we believe in Jesus that makes us right with God. What does all that mean? Some of you think, you know, I hear these words, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, maybe it's going to be a little plainer when you hear from these who have walked that same path of knowing it but not really knowing it. Jim and Diane McLaughlin, if you would come. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Does that make you tremble? I used to hear that, and it didn't make me tremble. When people ask you to give their testimony, you always wonder what you're going to say. Diane and I uh, worked yesterday on trying to decide what we were going to say. And being married 41 years, the one thing we have learned is that I know everything. (laughs) And she knows everything. And it's not the same thing. result there's been some difficulties (laughs) in preparing these testimonies Uh, but our backgrounds are a lot different diane what about your background i was raised in albany georgia uh grew up going to all the being sent to all the church activities involved in everything all the sunday morning sunday night wednesday night all the trips choir all the way till i graduated from high school and when I was nine, uh, or nine, nine as we say, nine. or nine, uh, I walked the aisle and I quote accepted Christ. Okay, I was uh, the product of a broken home, lived in many different places in early life, but uh, finally uh, settled down with my grandparents in Albany, Georgia, and was basically raised there. 
but uh, had no real church experience to speak of. Uh, never really went to church regularly uh, and had no one in my family who did. So I was from a non-Christian upbringing. Uh, Diane and I met each other. These two different backgrounds met each other at Georgia Southern College in Statesboro, Georgia in uh, about 1965-66. I know she has the exact date and time written down. It's another difference between men and women. And uh, we fell in love. And we're still in love. But the question I have for my sweet wife is would a Christian girl have had anything to do with me as I was in in college? Well, probably not, but you were cute and you were funny and I was in love. You notice the past tense. <laughs> I was cute. You just have to trust her on that one. We did fall in love, and we got married in 1968. Uh, we were both school teachers, uh, and after we taught school a few years, we decided uh, one New Year's Eve at a party. We were not we were doing anything but being Christian, by the way. We uh, decided that uh, I would go to law school. She would uh, teach school to pay for it. And in 1970, we moved to Macon, Georgia, to go to law school at Mercer University. And while we were in that process, uh, some people visited our little apartment and invited us to a church, Highland Hills Baptist Church. And we visited and we decided to join. You might want to tell them why we decided to join Highland Hills Baptist Church. Well, it was a very elite church with lots of professionals and lots of rich people. And so we thought, well, he was going to, you know, get this law degree, and then maybe he could have some connections and, t- and uh, get a job. Very spiritual decision. <laughs> Very spiritual. And we began to attend Highland Hills, and we made some good friends there. And we still have good friends there. Uh, and we became active, and then we became a little more active uh, in church. And I actually was asked and did teach a college Sunday school class. Uh, and what was missing, Diane? What was missing was we didn't really know Jesus. Yeah, we didn't know Jesus. We were church members, we were active church members, and we didn't know Jesus. Would be Would it be fair to say that both of us knew that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, the Father, that He was sent here, And uh, while here, he performed many miracles, that he was God incarnate, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected, that he appeared to many people after his resurrection, that he was ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and that all that he did, that death on the cross was done for your sins, in my sins. Yes, I believed all of that intellectually in my head. We had we both knew, knew all that and we both believed all that. But we didn't know Jesus. Can that be? Can you know that 
and believe that and not know Jesus. That's where we were. We had that intellectual ascent. And to make a long story shorter, while we were at Highland Hills Baptist Church, there were some people who observed us. And uh, they were concerned about us. And they invited us to a Bible study. Diane, won't you fill us in on how that happened? Okay. Well, as we, as Jimmy practiced law, we went on to have uh, two boys, Rhett, and who goes here, and Cole, our older son. And uh, 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 when Rhett was born, I had a friend come, and her name was Linda McCurdy. And she, oh, she was just an acquaintance, and she brought a baby gift. And I remember thinking, she's real religious. I wonder why she's interested in me. Well, she began to call me and tell me about a women's Bible study and a couple's Bible study. And when she spoke about the women's Bible study, I would think it was a bunch of little old ladies with their hats on studying the Bible. And I'd lots rather play bridge on Wednesday than do that. And But time rocked along, and then I'll let you tell what happened as we ultimately went to the Bible well, study. Well, her husband's name was Skeet. Good South, South Georgia. That's a good name. name. <laughs> uh, Skeet uh, was an oral surgeon, by the way. Uh, and Skeet invited me to the Bible study after Linda had invited Diane to the Bible study. And when Skeet invited us, uh, you know, he was a friend of mine. I, I respected him. Besides that, he was a rich man. Uh, that was important to me. And I said, oh, uh, I'll pray about that. And I thought as I walked away, what in the world? That's not what I said, but. Why would I want to go to a Bible study? I go to church on Sunday. <laughs> Ain't that enough? <laughs> and uh, But, of course, Linda's been inviting Diane, and, and Diane had actually talked to Skeet about she sort of wanted to go to the couple's Bible study. And, uh, you know, we, Diane said we're going to the couple's Bible study. <laughs> so we went to the couple's Bible study. <laughs> I, may, I may have been lost, but I wasn't stupid. <laughs> So we went to the couples Bible study. It was an interdenominational couples Bible study. What, 10 or 12 couples there that night, the first night we went? Uh, what happened? Well, we walked in, and these people knew where the books of the Bible were. Uh, and yeah. and they had this, uh, this just this love that was just so different and, uh, and something I had never seen in such concentration and uh they were talking about the Lord like he was somebody they personally knew. And during their prayer time, they actually thanked the Lord that Jimmy and I had come to the Bible study. And, of course, that had never happened to me before. There would be two reasons that that never happened before. One was that we'd never been to a Bible study before. Right. That would be the main one. And nobody else would have been that thankful for it to have us there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I noticed that night was some of the same things. The love of Christ permeated the room, permeated the house. I'd never seen anything like that. Those people were unique. Uh, but there were, there were four or five of the men whom I knew quite well. And I had, and I kept sitting there for the longest time thinking, what, what are they doing here? Because the activities I had participated with them in, were not spiritual in nature at all. And I couldn't figure out what had happened. And, of course, what had happened is each one of these men had been born again. 
Their lives had changed. They were different men than the men that I had socialized with for several years. Uh, and, and that struck me. They were different, noticeably different. They didn't even talk the same way. Their, their demeanor was different. Uh, and they were studying the book of John, and they had been studying it for over a year. And as Diane said, you know, when, when they say somebody turned, said, turned to Habakkuk, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm turning the table of contents to figure out where is Habakkuk. <laughs> and they, they just turn right to it, you know. And I'm thinking, somebody give me a page number for it. Do something. <laughs> and they knew the Scriptures. More importantly, they not only knew the Scriptures, they loved the Scriptures. You could tell that. And I, I, I was embarrassed, to be truthful. I mean, I'm prideful, you know. You know, I'm, you may not know this, but I actually sin. <laughs> I'm actually a sinner. And my pride, being the biggest one, of course, God used that pride. They were going to start Romans. And I was not going to be the dumbest boy in the class next time. And I studied. I began studying the book of Romans. And as I studied Romans, I got to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And the first thing I thought when I read that was, well, I sort of am ashamed of the gospel. Because in the world in which I move, the gospel is foolishness. The world thinks the gospel is absolutely foolish. And I'm a lawyer. The people I deal with, they may go to church, but they're like me. They're ashamed. We don't talk about these things. So that struck me. And then as I was reading this and studying this, the Holy Spirit turned the light on. And what happened? I was made to realize Paul was the writer through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, I learned in my studies, may have been, if not the smartest man to ever be on the face of the earth. He was certainly one of the smartest. And I said, here's a smart guy, not ashamed of the gospel. Then he tells why. For it is the power of God for salvation. Power of God. It's a powerful thing, the gospel. And then, then I got to the key phrase that changed my life forever. To everyone who believes. And that word believe, same one used in John 3.16. And I said, well, I believe. And then Charles Hodge in his commentary said, well, maybe you don't believe, because the word believe here means faith in, trust in, reliance on, commitment to, absolute reliance on, living for this. This is what it's all about. You will do anything for the cause of the gospel, and you believe in Jesus as the only path to God. Without Him, you are lost. And that was about 11 o'clock one night in my living room of our new house, which was, what, the nicest house we've ever owned? Nicest house we ever had. It was yes. nice, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was a nice house. <laughs> Very nice house. <laughs> I was in the living room. We had a living room. We had a family room. <laughs> we had a dining room. We had all kinds of rooms. And we never used the living room, so I was in the living room studying. <laughs> And when, I, when, that, when, the, when the Holy Spirit revealed that truth about what believe really means, 
for the first time in my life, I realized not only had I sinned against my wife, my children, there were a lot of things I had done. But you know, I figured that I was obsessively ethical in my professional world. I was a good friend. You could depend on me. I was a, I was a good guy. Now, those other things aside, you understand. <laughs> and relatively speaking, pretty good. That was enough. But that night in my living room, the Holy Spirit convicted me, not that I had just sinned against my wife, my children, but that I had sinned directly against God Himself. And I was just crushed by that. I, and he convicted me. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I, I lost it. I broke down. As Isaiah says, I was undone. And I got down on my knees, and I fell on my face, and I prayed. And I accepted Christ. But I didn't tell Diane. <laughs> what would she think? She might think I'm crazy. Well, Diane, what was going on with you? Well, from the first Tuesday night to the next Tuesday night to the next Tuesday night, over those few weeks in July of 1979, I started to realize that I was starting to understand what the Bible said. Uh, It meant something to me. I had a peace that I had never had. I also realized that the little voice I had been hearing in my head that was saying, oh, you accepted Christ when you were nine. Well, that voice was the voice of the enemy because I had accepted the facts about Christ. But I also experienced uh, a relief of a burden that I didn't even know I had. It was like a 500-pound weight was taken off my back. And that weight, of course, was sin. And I had... Uh, a peace and a, and a boldness and all these things uh, that when you are born again, especially as an adult, you experience. I think it would be fair to say, correct me as you always do if I'm wrong, <laughs> sometimes when I'm not wrong, that verse 16 is my verse. Verse 17 is closer to Diane's experience and Martin Luther's experience. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I think that you have been trying to be good. Yes. Through your own efforts. You get up and say, I'm going to do good today. And then reading this, we see that this goodness, this righteousness has only one source. It's of God. And God gives it to those who believe. And I'd like to say one more thing, that for these 31 years, almost 31 years this summer, that God has been so faithful that He saved our marriage when I didn't even know it needed saving. He has shown us great mercy. Uh, Our boys, uh, the path of their lives has been totally different than it would have been if we had not turned our lives over to the Lord. The path in our life has been totally different, uh, as Jimmy teaches law school. And we don't have all that money and stuff that I wanted that I thought was going to make me happy by being rich like those professional people at that church. 
Because I found that knowing Jesus and, and knowing uh, the other Christians and growing in Him uh, was a wonderful thing. We don't have that nice house anymore, but we have Jesus. And we have this book, The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan poems, uh, prayers. And we want to uh, read one we think is pretty expressive of our testimony that we've tried to relate to you today. It's entitled, Belonging to Jesus. O Heavenly Father, teach me to see that if Christ has pacified you and satisfied divine justice, he can also deliver me from my sins. That Christ does not desire me, now justified, to live in self-confidence in my own strength, but gives me the law of the Spirit of life to enable me to obey you. That the Spirit and his power are mine, By resting on Christ's death. That the spirit of life within answers to the law without. That if I sin not, I should thank you for it. That if I sin, I should be humbled daily under it. That I should mourn for sin more than other men and women do. For when I see I shall die because of sin, that makes me mourn. When I see how sin strikes at you, That makes me mourn. When I see that sin caused Christ's death, that makes me mourn. That satisfaction, that that sanctification is the evidence of reconciliation, proving that faith has truly apprehended Christ. You have taught me that faith is nothing else than receiving your kindness. That it is an adherence to Christ, a resting on Him. Love clinging to him as a branch to a tree, to seek life and vigor from him. I thank you for showing me the vast difference between knowing things by reason and knowing them by the spirit of faith. By reason, I see a thing is so. And by faith, I know it is as it is. I have seen you by reason and have not been amazed I have seen you as you are in your Son, and have been ravished to behold you. I bless Bless you that that I am yours in my Savior, Jesus. I want to take this morning to uh, thank my producer, my writer, and my director. A week ago when uh, Brad asked me to come up and uh, present my testimony, I was uh, accepted with a little bit of trepidation. He said, well, we'll give you ten minutes after Jim McLaughlin. <laughs> and uh, he said, we don't want to uh, people to start uh, filtering out if he's last. I said, well, I've got to follow him. I said, but what about me? I'm going to be inheriting a comatose audience here. And uh, <laughs> well, I've been here at Grace a long time. Going on uh, 12 years, I guess, or yeah, about 12 years. And I uh, want to start from back in the beginning. So I was uh, raised, born in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, my early upbringing was not, no religious background, very, very little, in fact. I used to spend uh, holidays and uh, summers with my grandparents. And my grandmother taught me the 23rd Psalm. 
She taught me the Lord's Prayer and all of the usual uh, kids' stories that you read in the Kids' Adventure Bible. So uh, that was really the, uh, my background in uh, religion up and through the time that we moved to West Virginia. And I moved there with my, with my folks. Uh, I guess I was going into, uh, into a middle school and then into high school. And still never made a connection with any sort of uh, religious thoughts or ideas. We attended a church called, uh, what was the name of that church? I don't even, a Missionary Baptist Church in West Virginia. And just sporadically, not very often. But it was very important because I was baptized there. We had a minister, the kind that uh, we lived about a block away, and you could hear him on Sunday morning. And we did not have a sound system. You could hear him thundering from the pulpit. I mean, you know, the hellfire and brimstone, the classic. But it may have even been an Easter service. But he had the congregation all stand up, and they all came around to the front of the church where he shook your hand and gave you a little quick blessing. So I came up there. I guess I was probably 14 years old at the time, and I came up to him and shook his hand. And he put his. He said, "Son, are you ready to accept Jesus as your Savior?" No. Right? That's what I'm going to say. Of course not. I said, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." And so he put his arm around me, and he pulled me aside, and everyone filed around back through and sat down in their seats. And he stood there with his arm around me, and he said, This young man today has accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And the next week, I was dunked. So, I was baptized. Was it a real baptism? Of course not. But uh, but it was, like, in, like Diane mentioned, she was baptized when she was nine. That was what I clung to. That was my... Defining moment as a Christian, I was baptized. So after graduating high school, I went into the Air Force, spent four years up in Alaska. And again, I associated very loosely with a group called the Navigators and uh, did some scripture memorization. But uh, mainly I went because uh, I was young, single. It was Alaska and it was very cold and there were no girls on base. So they had a few girls that would come. And so, well, uh, whatever opportunity arises, you know. So... (laughs) So uh, anyway, I put in my time in the Air Force and went up to Caribou, Maine. That was my first job with the National Weather Service. I'm a meteorologist, by the way. And northern Maine, it was colder up in Caribou than it ever was in Alaska. And I was 21, 22 years old and single, and there was nothing there, potato fields for miles. So every day after getting off work, I started stopping off at the Handy Mart and picking up a six-pack and taking it home with me. And six months later, I was finishing off a couple in the, in the refrigerator before I went to work and then stopping at the Handy Mart on the way home from work and picking up another six-pack. Not good at all. It progressed slowly like that. And anyway, I worked my way down the East Coast for the Weather Service and eventually wound up in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina in 1985, right before Hurricane Gloria hit. And I ran into Hurricane Deborah <laughs> at the time. <laughs> So once I managed to convince her that I was a really upstanding guy, and uh, she married, we married in 1988 and uh, moved to Raleigh, I quit my job and uh, came back and went back to school at North Carolina State University. And at the same time, I despised college. I mean, I really didn't like it. And I did well, but I didn't like it. And uh, I continued my, uh, in fact, it probably got worse, but my uh, drinking was every day, every day. I'm a little guy, you know, and a six-pack of beer was enough, but I, I graduated to like eight or ten a day and still managed to get through college. So I was a very high-functioning alcoholic. And so I graduated, 
And uh, then Deborah and I got out of Raleigh and moved to Anger. We lived down the road about oh, a quarter of a mile or so. That was 13 years ago. So we lived there about two years, I would say. And the whole time we lived there, you know, there's a big Baptist church down the street and all. But only two people ever stopped by and invited us to services. There was a, uh, a Mormon lady who pulled into my driveway one day when I was mowing the lawn. And then one day a fellow pulled in and... Uh, I think he had an ulterior motive, but uh, Ted McKinney stopped in and uh, invited me to a little church, and he said, I said, where's it at? And he said, it's across the street in the high school. And of course, uh, I think he really just wanted to fish in my pond. But uh, <laughs> So Ted McKinney was the first one to invite us to a Grace Community Church, and uh, very small at the time, maybe a dozen couples. And uh, not long after that, Deborah's mother passed on to her great reward. And uh, Deborah and I hadn't been attending any services, and so she would, well, occasionally grab me by the scruff of the neck and make me go, but uh, not on any regular basis. So then she determined that we needed to get our spiritual life in order. And so the question was, well, where do we go? Well, right across the street. So uh, we went over and uh, got introduced to Grace Community Church and began attending regularly. We got involved with some of the uh, kids' ministries and things like that. And a while later, we joined Grace Community Church. And as you know, uh, when you join the church, that the elders come and uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, your religious ideas and what you believe. And remember, I had had a fairly decent background in uh, in religion, and uh, I knew all the right answers. They came and, what do you believe, sir? And... Uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? Yes, yes, yes. I knew all the answers. So we joined Grace Community Church, but uh, I had the strong enough background to give the proper answers. But did I believe it? I believed it. I mean, in, in the sense that I wasn't rejecting it, but I was not putting my faith in it. I believed it intellectually, like Diane and Jim so eloquently put it. So we joined Grace Community Church, and uh, at the same time, I was still sucking back the bruise, I mean, full throttle. Deborah's got funny stories about where she'd find my stash of empty beer cans that I was trying to hide from her. But uh, So fast forward on about another year, I guess. it was The date was November 7th, 1999, and uh, it was a Sunday because I remember we had a church bulletin from, that was dated that November 7th. And I was sitting at home. It was about 9.30 at night. Deborah had already gone to bed. And I was reading, I'm sure it was a Newsweek magazine, and I was drinking an ice house beer at the kitchen table. And no th- no religious thoughts running through my head at all. I mean, I was just reading my magazine and drinking my beer. And it was like a tangible clutch. Someone clutched my shoulder. Very tangible. I mean, absolutely felt it. A chill ran up my spine. And in my mind, I heard three words, you are saved. That's it. Three words, you are saved. There were no great instructions for me to, you know, hop onto the missionary bus and take off for some foreign country. There was nothing else, just you are saved. And like I say, it was so tangible and it was overpowering. The emotion I felt, absolutely overpowering. And... uh so I went into our spare bedroom, and much like Jim, I fell to my knees and realized I saw the cross in its glory and in its shame, and I saw the empty tomb. And where intellectually I knew it, I understood it. 
I accepted it, and I prayed the prayer of repentance that night. And I cried. Now, I am not the type to cry. In fact, that is the only time that Deborah has ever seen me cry. Ever. But I was crying. And so I went into the bedroom and I woke her up. And I think she knew it immediately. Because I was trembling. And I was crying. And she recognized immediately that something had changed about me. And uh, I poured out my beer. Never touched one since. No alcohol at all. And you know, it was funny because... When we were married, you know, and uh, I would drink my beer. Deborah would nag me. She'd say, you know, we would never have another argument if you would just quit drinking beer. You know what? She was wrong. (laughs) Boy, was she wrong. Yeah. So things have progressed wonderfully from there, you know, and... uh, you know, the wonderful thing about hearing people's testimony is that they're all so different. Uh, you have people that have just a gradual gradual growth all through their early years, and uh, they're saved basically from the time they've known it. And there are people like me that have a eureka moment. I mean, I wasn't even thinking you know, or praying to be saved. And it just a touch. You are saved. Some people need to go into the depths of despair. Some people need to be broken horribly before they come to the realization that they need to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, you know, so that um, he could offer everyone reconciliation to God. Do you understand the significance of this empty tomb? This empty tomb, it's the most important moment in history. In history! And... The most important decision that you will ever make in your life is to accept that and to repent of your sins, to accept what Jesus did. That empty tomb means everything. So going back uh, to my beginning here, I want to, again, thank my producer. He's in charge of all the activities that are in connection with the production of uh, this program that is Our Life in Jesus Christ. I want to thank my writer. He inscribed the law with his own hand, and he inspired and preserved the Holy Scriptures for us, the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. And I want to thank my director. He's the head of this project. He guides and directs the little details that keep me working on the straight and narrow, my Savior Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Because without the guidance and love of this Holy Trinity, then uh, there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to stand at the podium and accept your reward. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, I remember when Mike trusted Christ on November 7th of 1999. I don't think I knew about it immediately afterwards, but pretty soon after that. I was one of the elders that was over there, and I told the other elder who was with me, he knows all the right words, but I don't know. Well, it became very apparent soon after his decision that Mike was a changed person. And another element to his story is, is so true with so many stories is we were going through the Gospel of John at the time he uh, trusted Christ. And week after week after week we were reading where the word said, believe on Jesus Christ. In fact, the Greek construction in the Gospel of John, every time you see believe, the Greek 
construction is pistuo ace, which means to believe into. It's more than just this intellectual ascent that these guys kept talking about today. It's just like this chair. If you put a chair up here, do I believe this chair will hold me up? Yeah, I do. But I don't really believe it until I put all of my weight, not part of my weight, like maybe this thing's got a wobbly leg or something. When I put all of my weight, I pull my feet up, then I'm trusting that chair completely. That's what it's like to trust Jesus. You may know everything there is to know about Him. You may have heard it. And by the way, we'll read in Romans, in this study of the gospel that we're doing, in Romans 10, that if a person does not hear about Jesus, he can't be saved. You may have heard all your life and don't really understand what it means. But something is stirring in your heart as you hear these testimonies this morning. Something is is causing you to think, God, I, I'm in trouble. Just like Diane said, I'm undone. Or Jim said, I'm undone. And I don't know what to do about it. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I, we don't ever do this at Grace. Hardly ever. But I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart, you know that Jesus died for you, but you've never really understood it. You've never really got it. But now you want that change in your life, the same thing to happen to you that happened to them. Not because it's a cool thing to do. In fact, it's a difficult thing to do. Like Jim said, people think you're crazy. When you, If you follow Jesus as you should, and if you commit your life to follow Him like that at this moment, then people are going to think you're a fanatic. That's just all there is to it. It's just the way it is. But this is the prayer. You're going to, if you choose to do this, and I want to say up front, part of salvation is not only confessing to the Lord your sin and your belief in Jesus, but confessing to others that you've trusted Him. And I want you to, to tell me that happened after the first service this morning. I'm praying it's going to happen again, that somebody is going to come and say, I prayed that prayer. You need to tell me. I know you could tell some. Please tell me. I'll be out there in the lobby that you prayed this prayer. So it's there's there's a, an immediate cost in doing this. Confess to the Lord your sin. Ask Him to forgive you for your sin. Tell Him that you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place. And ask Him to save you. So if you've prayed this way, if you've trusted Christ, as Mike said, you may have come to a gradual understanding. And I used to think if a person said, well, I've just always believed. Well, that didn't count. I do believe that we're born again. I mean, the Scripture says we're born again and it happens at one point. But you may not remember that point. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, not yourself, then the Bible says you're saved. The one who is believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Doesn't matter what happened back then or what. What do you believe right now? But Scripture also says we are born again. We must be born again. And if you've just been baptized, if you've been a moralist. It's interesting, isn't it? You can be a moralist without being a moral person. All you got to do is find somebody who's worse than you. Like Jim. You know, I did certain things that were wrong, but I was ethical in my business. I'm a good person. Surely God will accept me. It's not good enough. Now, God will lead you to do these good things, good works afterwards. Don't think that it means that you can live any way you want to. That's not the point. But the point is, we'll never be 
good enough. So, if you've been relying on your good works or a baptism or church membership or, or the fact that you've grown up in a Christian nation, look, put it all aside and come to Jesus right now. Let's pray. If you need to, pray this prayer silently in your heart. Lord, I know and confess that I'm a sinner. And I've sinned against You. And I'm in trouble. Oh Lord, please forgive me for my sins. You told me in Your Word that Jesus lived a perfect life and then He died for me. Jesus took my place. I believe it, Lord. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Right now, I repent of my sin. And I accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart and save me now. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. And thank you for making me your child. Jesus, I commit my whole life to you. Thank you for saving me. Amen.